And so good afternoon from Maui, Hawaii. Michael Benner with you here in the Ageless Wisdom Teleseminar. And we're set up to go about an hour, maybe a little more, maybe a little less. We'll see how it goes. One of the nice things about this, unlike radio, is we don't have to worry too much about the clock. We have participants now from uh, all over the United States who are listening. And we were just talking to Deborah in Texas, and John in Pittsburgh says hi. And uh, I know we have a few other regulars back east that join us. And wherever you happen to be, most folks, I'm sure, in the uh, west coast of the, the Los Angeles area, because we did so much radio there for so many years. But right here at the very top of the program, I want to encourage you folks to, number one, tell your friends about this, because it's fun. Uh, when somebody that you know has an interest in metaphysics, in personal and spiritual development, listens to this program, even if they just listen to the replay that we discussed here uh, before beginning uh, this afternoon, you can chat with them. You can get on the phone with them and talk about what you heard. And it's as good as therapy. <laughs> I swear. And... Uh, you know, or exchange with email or whatever. You have a topic to talk about, and I mean, there there is such a dearth of information available that, uh, and, and and what is available in the field of personal and spiritual development is usually not very interactive. So, it's an idea for you. When you get the emailed invitation every week, if you look at the bottom, there's a link where you can simply forward to friends or you can use your own email client to forward. I encourage you to do that, to forward these invitations, the Michael Benner Ageless Wisdom Newsletter with the uh, link to join us on Sunday. Forward that to anybody that you think is like-minded. Tell them it's free and uh, come on board and and then uh, you'll have that to share. Again, a reminder that uh, if you're not able to listen to one of these events or you have to leave early, the replay is always archived. If you have the email with the link that brought you here today, you can use that at any time in the future. If you lose track of the email, which is understandable, you can always visit my website, either michaelbenner.com or theagelesswisdom.com and under the link uh, the tab web teleconference all the uh, past programs will be archived there's also a blog theagelesswisdom.blogspot.com where I archive all of the past programs and uh, so that's a pretty cool feature too wanted to mention that to you well, our topic today is fear, and uh, it's a big one. I got an email yesterday or early this morning, I guess it was, from one of our participants who said that he thought that the nature of fear lied at the root of human consciousness. Uh, it is basic. It is fundamental. It is uh, an awareness of fear in one sense certainly is necessary to our survival and if you consider uh, if you think about it for a second we are each of us the 
descendants of ancestors who were survivors. We are descendants of those women and men who were really good, for whatever reason, at being alert and aware of fear, of danger around them. And and initially, a discussion of fear has to begin with acknowledging that uh, there are dangers in the world. And, uh, you know, just somebody coming up behind you and saying, boom, causes you to jump and we say, oh, you scared me. It didn't really scare you. It just sort of surprised you. But that automatic or autonomic jump, uh, that knee-jerk reaction, is where our fears really begin as a way of protecting us from danger. Here's the problem, though. The world is not that dangerous anymore. We have domesticated it. We have civilized it, at least to some extent, arguably. We have cut it down and paved it over. We have uh, killed a lot of the wild animals. And uh, there's no more grizzly bears in the United States. You you know, there's a few uh, brown bears, yogi bears, and and, uh, a few mountain lions left. uh, But not many dangers in the world compared to the the quote law of the jungle or the past that we've come out of and so what we have is fear in our current era that really is the result not of any real danger but confusion and uh, this is the, the second part of what we need to talk about today as we discuss the nature of fear that's even though we have this built-in survival fight-or-flight response uh, where fear is a feeling that goes with the perception of danger, real or imagined, that the vast majority of what frightens us now is not about danger at all. The vast majority, 99.99999% of our fears and our anxieties, our stresses, Our nervousness and apprehension, our worry and doubt has nothing to do with danger, but confusion, at the center of which stands confusion about who we are. And that's the construct I want to work with today. That fear is rarely, rarely, about danger. Probably the most dangerous thing any of us do is drive on the freeway. One of the reasons we came to Hawaii was my wife Doreen and I got tired of driving on those L.A. freeways. They're stressful and there is danger there. (laughs) There's real danger. So we got in an airplane and flew away. There was a certain amount of danger in getting on the airplane. I suppose there's a certain degree of measurable danger anytime you walk out of your house. Uh, but the world is not nearly as dangerous as Fox News would have you believe, or any other news program for that matter. Uh, I was talking to a friend the other day about having visited a, a mall, a shopping mall here in Maui. I think I may have mentioned this in a past program, but it bears repeating and seeing a little girl in a car parked next to us, she was about 
seven, eight, maybe nine years old, sitting in this parked car in the parking lot of this mall all alone. Windows are rolled down, and she's listening to the radio. And I immediately flashed on being that age. When I was a kid, my mom would leave me in the car a lot. She'd go into the department store or the grocery store, and I was, I don't know, seven, eight, nine years. I used to ride the bus alone when I was five. And people people today say, oh, that's so reckless. And they're, you know, such a dangerous world, and we're all so frightened. How could you do that? How could you be so irresponsible as a parent? And the truth is, crime is no higher now than it was back then. Your chances of getting attacked or robbed or raped or murdered or whatever is not significantly greater now than 40, 50 years ago. It's just not true. But we're all much more frightened, largely because the media likes to scare the bejesus out of us and tell us about all the dangers out there in the world. So... One of the causes of fear is mass media. And I think we have a responsibility, obviously, in a democracy to stay well-informed and to read the news and find out what's going on in the world, not just politics and government, but all manner of current events. And uh, at the same time, I think you have to account for the fact that fear is profitable. If the, if the TV producers can keep you frightened and keep you indoors, uh, your only source of communication is television, maybe your, uh, your telephone, but the only mass media really is television. Uh, radio listening, by the way, is w- way down, reduced by over 20%, the amount of radio people listen to. Well, if they can get you watching television and staying in front of that TV and afraid to go out, you spend more time in front of the television, you watch more commercials, their ratings go up, their revenue goes up. It's uh, it's very much in the interest of mass media, television in particular, to keep you frightened. Also, if you think about the advertising, uh, what sells? Fear. Can you sell with love? Well, of course. You can be attracted to something. You can uh, have an affinity for it. You can desire it. You can want it. But uh, even then, it's more often than not presented in the context of the fear of not having this particular product, the fear of not uh, being able to enjoy this particular service. So, I remember in college studying and advertising law of homeostasis, they called it. Homeostasis meaning that people are basically happy and content, and your your job as an advertiser is to scare people, to disturb that sense of well-being, to knock them off center so that they then gravitate toward your solution, which is the product or service that you happen to be selling. So all advertising, with few exceptions, there are exceptions, but the vast majority of advertising uh, is based on fear. Certainly our government runs on fear. 
uh, corporations run on fear, unions run on fear. Uh, I'm sorry to have to say that most parents parent based on fear. Essentially, there's really only two ways to motivate people, fear and love. Um, and fear is just easier, that's all. It extracts a horrible price. Love is a far superior way to motivate people, whether you're a parent or, or a corporate boss or a union boss or a politician or an advertiser. Uh, love and attraction and positive benefits is is always a better way, but it's more challenging. And the, the easy, down-the-dirty way to motivate somebody is to scare them. And so parents might say, well, I parent my children by telling them how much I love them, but that love is conditional on certain behavior. And so a lot of us grow up feeling not so loved, really, as walking in an eggshells, afraid that if we misbehave or fail to please our parents, that love is going to be pulled away. The fear of love lost. Boy, now we're starting to get down to it, aren't we? Of all the fears. The fear of alienation. The fear that nobody will love you. The fear that you're really all alone. These are very fundamental fears. Again, not really dangerous to life and limb, but nevertheless frightening. So, fear our topic. Let's 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 talk about the fact that fear is more than an emotion. For a minute, I wrote a quotation book a long time ago called "Creativity, Confidence, and Courage," and it's a uh, a book that takes quotations of famous people and sorts them into these three areas. Creativity, I define, as the absence of mental fear. Confidence, the absence of emotional fear. And courage, the absence of physical fear. Simple definitions, you might say, well, it's really not the absence so much as a willingness to face creativity, mental fear. The willingness to face confidence, emotional fear. The willingness to face courage, physical fear. But the idea that you could have mental fear as opposed to or as somewhat distinct from uh, emotional fear as distinct from physical fear and I'll even throw in spiritual fear. I hinted at it in the email reminder that we sent out late last night. Um, is there a mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual fear? Yeah. Are they all that different? Well, no, not really. Um, it's as if fear is more than an emotion. Fear is a level of awareness that permeates all things that we do. Indeed, in the context of the program we did last week on consciousness, fear is unconsciousness, or fear is the lack of, again, not the complete absence of consciousness. If you are unconscious totally, <laughs> 
you would not be aware of your fear and therefore could not be afraid. So it's not the complete antithesis, but to think of a lack of awareness. What is consciousness from last week? We described consciousness as spiritual love. We described it as awareness. We described it as inner peace. Well, if you have none of those things, uh, then that's really what fear is. So, as I said in the emailed invitation with a reminder, uh, mental fear is really confusion. Mentally, in terms of our capacity to think, the impact of fear, by any name, stress, anxiety, worry, apprehension, nervousness, the impact of that anxiety, stress, and fear mentally is to confuse us. When you're confused, it's because you're afraid, you're frightened, you're stressed out, you're anxious or nervous. Okay. In no particular order. Emotional fear, of course, hurt. It at once, get this, get this, it's at once an emotional insensitivity, a numbness, an inability to feel anything else. But there's an ache or a pain that goes with fear, anxiety, stress by any name. So it's a little odd that emotionally fear creates a kind of psychic numbing, but nevertheless there is a feeling that hurts that goes with being numb to your feelings. you got to work with that a little bit. It's, it's a bit uh, confusing <laughs> in and of itself. Okay. Further, and this is important too, I want to come back to this for just a little bit before I address your questions. Get this, this is so big. Fear supports everything that hurts emotionally. All of your so-called negative feelings, anger and hatred and, uh, oh my gosh, even uh, envy and, and shame and guilt and contempt and, and apathy, for that matter, are all supported by, nourished by fear. Okay. So that mental confusion, emotional insensitivity, and yet there's an ache and fear supports all of the emotions that hurt us and upset us. Then physically, fear, of course, is the perception that there is a danger, real or imagined. You say to people, well, I see that you're afraid, but what are you afraid of? People always say, I don't know. If, if I, <laughs> I mean, fear of the unknown, that's, that's, uh, that's redundant to say fear. Again, there's so little real danger in the world that just to say, well, I'm afraid or I'm nervous or I'm worried or I'm anxious or I'm stressed out, <clears throat> what are you saying? You're saying, I am confused and I have this emotional angst and I'm afraid there may be some physical danger out there in the world. I just don't know what it is. And then the fourth element, mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, in no particular order, Spiritual standing above and behind and all around the first three. What is spiritual fear? Spiritual fear is separation. Spiritual fear is alienation. 
spiritual fear was that horrible, horrible sense that you really are all alone, all alone. And isn't that a funny word, even, alone, if you write it down and separate the syllables, alone, all one, all one, all one, alone is all one. It's one of those great, pithy uh, Derivations or connotations of a word. I love the word atonement for the same reason people think of atonement as something that we do uh, to create a sense of forgiveness. We atone for our fears. Atonement is at onement. Cool, huh? Atonement is really at onement, and in the same way, alone is really all one. And the derivation of these words, if you're interested in it, is uh, material for a lot of insight, a lot of study. Where does that come from? Um, even our Constitution, or wait a minute, let me get to, let me remember this. I think it's the Declaration of Independence, actually, that talks about our unalienable rights. The word inalienable is also correct. Unalienable or inalienable means you cannot be alienated you cannot be separated spiritually from your source and so spiritual fear is the feeling that you have been separated or alienated from your source and you're not all one you're alone okay now again we're talking about fear uh, not so much of danger but of the much more common situation, uh, confusion, uh, things unknown. And I'm arguing that at the center of all of the things unknown is the self. And that's what's really frightening. I'm going to argue today that the bulk, the vast majority of fear in our lives, ultimately is rooted in a failure to know who we are or what we're for. You know, if your fear seems to be, I don't know what I want, I don't know what to do, I don't know if I'm worthy or deserving, I don't know if I can count on my friend, or whatever. The emphasis seems to be on the back end, the second part of the sentence. But look at the first part of the sentence. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. I don't understand. I am not consciously aware. That's what fear is. It's the opposite of what we talked about last week. It's being, to some extent, unconscious and unaware of who you are. <laughs> and we spend so much of our lives trying to be like other people, to be liked by other people, so we can feel included and avoid the fear of being all alone. And it's exactly the wrong thing to do, or at least 
the wrong place to begin <laughs> to be like other people so that you can be liked by other people. I mean, we've all done it. We all do it. To make other people happy is a wonderful thing. Just as I said before, as I've said many times, when we need to make other people happy, that's when, you know, we're becoming too codependent and, uh, or just said simply dependent upon other people to accept us and make us feel good about ourselves. And that all is born of a failure to know who we really are. Okay. Now, one of the comments or questions that I had this morning, let me go to the, uh, to the Q&A here. We're going to do a time check. We're about 25 minutes in. And again, if you have, uh, if you're on the uh, website as opposed to the telephone, you can uh, type in a question. Boy, we got some great questions here, people from all over. Again, uh, we have uh, Charlotte or Charlotte in uh, Montreal, and uh, Peggy in Long Beach, and Dale in uh, Burbank. A lot of fun. That's one of the cool things about the Internet, a lot of folks all over. Uh, one of the uh, one of the questions that came in uh, even before the event, I want to remind you, you can, when we first announce these events, go to the website and submit a question, because I do them in the order they come in. Is from a fella in Dana Point named uh, Randall, who is between jobs, we would say. He describes himself as unemployed at the moment and uh, suffering from uh, Bushonomics, which I guess is no economics at all. We're in the transition. I'm not going to get off on the globalization and the shakedown and shakeout, but you're watching your jobs being exported to the third world. I hope you understand the so-called immigration controversy, the bashing of Mexican-Americans and other others, other Americans, Central Americans, South Americans, and this whole controversy is all economic in nature. And uh, so these are incredibly difficult times, and so, Randall's question has to do with the fear about being able to find a job, and a decent job, one that pays a livable wage. He goes on, he says, uh, with the bad news about the U.S. economy, and, and uh, my fear and anxiety increases, he says, as he watches the news. Well, stop watching the news. <laughs> uh, again, as I said a few minutes ago, you have to be well-informed. Be very careful about how much of the stuff you watch. TV is probably the least newsworthy of the news. You could read, you know, a couple of good newspapers, uh, a news magazine or two. Uh, with the Internet, I suppose you can even access wire services like the Associated Press with Reuters and, and get a pretty objective approach to the news. Just watch 
just be careful of how much you expose yourself to that stuff because, again, it is really, really negative. And so, let's uh, see, Randall goes on. He says, uh, I think a lot of folks can relate to this because even if we've got a job, you know, so many of us are just a, a paycheck or two away from uh, pretty scary times, pretty dire straits. He talks about trying to stay conscious and facing his fears in a conscious manner, and I'm wondering about being able to cope with the stresses that come with finding work on a day-to-day basis. And uh, sometimes the anxiety, he says, is overwhelming. What practices, he asks, will uh, help me with this and keep me through this period of stress and uncertainty about my future. And thanks for all you do, Michael. Aloha. Well, thank you, Randall. And aloha to you. Uh, it brings up a lot of stuff. I think the very fact that we're here together on this conference call means that we all have a sense that there's more to the world than the appearance of things. That there is, whether we see it in beauty or uh, some other quality of love, uh, we see a universe that is imbued with intelligence. We've been told by philosophers and religious prophets in many different ways that in spite of appearances, all things work together for good. It's an opportunity, I think, when we're between jobs or dealing with a health condition, uh, either with ourselves or someone else that we love, or any other anxiety-producing situation, any other situation where we're confused and and hurting and and lonely. Uh, It's it's really a time to practice faith. It's one thing to have faith in the universe, in the absolute, in God, a faith that all things really do work together for good as long as things are going well. The challenge is to have that faith and to lean on that faith and rely on that faith when things are not going so well. And that's why I like the, I think it's, I I credit Plato with it. Plato talked so much about the appearance of things as different from the truth of things. And he was not the only Greek philosopher that suggested that the appearance of things, those tangible things that we believe to be so real, are in fact not substantial because none of them last. Everything is changing constantly. It has its season, its ebb and flow. Everything is constantly changing. How could you find anything truthful or anything substantial in the mere appearance of things? And so, Randall, it appears to you that you may not be good enough. It may appear to you. I, uh, I think before we look outside of ourselves uh, and say, well, it's the bad economy uh, or, you know, the robber barons have totally screwed things up and look at the stock market and all of that, 
at some point we're looking at ourselves and wondering, why me? What's wrong with me? And as I said a few minutes ago, if if you're willing to consider the point that I'm making here, that essentially all fear is things unknown and confusing and really has very little to do with danger, that in, in, in fact all fear is fear of the unknown, even danger, what's scary about a dangerous situation is what you don't know about it. The more you know about some danger, the less dangerous it becomes. So even there, the fear of danger, real or imagined, you're dealing ultimately with an element of things unknown. And at the center of that is the self, and I think that's what you need, Randall, to put your eye on, is what part of me is afraid because I don't know who I am, and I don't know uh, how worthy or deserving I am. And maybe I don't know what I'm supposed to do for a career. I don't know my calling. I'm not sure I even have a particular gift or a talent to give to the world. I think, in fact, I strongly believe that if you face the fear and make it personal, that if you go beyond the concerns that your unemployment or the exceedingly high levels of unemployment in this country and the rest of the world is a function of the economy and get lost in that. Again, you have to know something about that. But ultimately, if you bring it home to the self and say how much of this anxiety, this stress, this worry about getting a job and making enough money and being able to keep my head above water, how much of that is about me, born of my failure to really understand myself. And let's face it, there are no schools for this, per se. School does not teach you subjective wisdom. They don't, <laughs> most schools don't teach you how to know thyself, right? The whole idea of school is know the things around you and ignore the self. We wouldn't want you to be too powerful or too free. (laughs) But if we face our fear and make it personal and say, hey, ultimately, yeah, the economy's in bad shape. Yeah, there's a lot of other folks in the same situation. Yeah, inflation and unemployment and, and this whole robber baron thing that we're going through with the Bushies going back to Reaganomics and the plundering of the American economy, that'll take you, you know, that'll fill your head. That'll take you a certain distance into your anxieties and trepidations, but it's never going to resolve them. And so techniques, yeah, breathe, first of all, just uh, it may be a dozen times a day, maybe 30 times a day you feel that fear welling up in your belly. You take a nice, slow, deep breath, breathe, hold for a moment, and as you, as you exhale, then ah, let it go. Have faith. Turn it over to a higher power. Remind yourself that you really do believe all things work together for good, that there's got to be a pony in here someplace. There's some 
silver lining in this cloud. There's some blessing in this adversity. And you might say, well, I don't know that to be true. Well, you, how how better, what better way to find out if it's true? You know, <clears throat> it's often, what do they say, darkest before the dawn? My wife Doreen and I often talk about what we've come to call the 11.59.50 phenomena, <laughs> which is 10 seconds before the deadline, something happens, as long as you don't give up. If you get to that point where it seems like, you know, 10 seconds from now, disaster, end time, uh, what will I do? I'm going to lose this. I'm going to be foreclosed upon. I'm going to lose my car, whatever. If you just don't knuckle under and and cave in and give up, but hold that faith and that belief and that hope, I think in the whole Tolkien trilogy, my favorite line, I read that in the 60s, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and I think my favorite line in that whole trilogy is the simple sentence, there is always hope. It's just another word for faith, for believing in the invisible and unseen, in the substantial, in the fact that things work themselves out, they always do, and that there may be a blessing in disguise here. Randall, there may be something here for you that you can learn about yourself and the world around you. From your particular point of view, make it personal. Take some ownership here. Take all the ownership you can possibly take and experience this as if Welcome to the conferencing service. Please enter your conference ID followed by the pound sign. Thank you. Please hold while we validate your conference ID. Conference ID accepted. You will now be placed into conference. By that attitude, by that glass is half full, not half empty, that there's always opportunity here, that from what most people would call failure, we can see an opportunity to learn and understand. Not an easy thing to do, but it starts with a breath, and that attitude, and then, of course, positive thinking, to whatever extent that you have a goal or a particular solution or a desired outcome in mind, then in an altered state, in a meditation, in a nice, quiet, closed-eye, alpha brainwave place, the partner Steve and I call this paradise, <laughs> Christ consciousness, Buddha consciousness, whatever you want to call, turning away from physical sense, uh, senses and sensations. Breathing, relaxing, going into states of expanded awareness. That is, again, spiritual love. That is inner peace. And that is the antithesis or the antidote to fear. And when there, Visualize what you want as if you've already got it, as specifically as you can. 
giving no thought as to what it takes to create that particular goal or outcome. That's very important. When your eyes are closed and you're doing a visualization or guided imagery kind of meditation, see the desired outcome and experience it as if you've already got it, as if you've taken the trip forward in time and it's already there. Giving no thought as to what it takes to get there. Then later, after 10 or 15 or 20 minutes and your eyes are open and you move out into the world, you'll have plenty of opportunity. And, of course, (laughs) your mind is going to take you there anyway. How am I going to do this? Okay. We'll just take one step in that direction. Well, then what do I do? Well, we'll see when you get there. Just take one more step in that direction. Okay. Talk to somebody. Polish your resume. Polish your shoes. <laughs> Knock on the doors. Uh, do whatever that, that you can. Of course, if you don't know what you want, that's another problem altogether. And uh, that really is a more... Uh, a call for a more receptive state in meditation, for opening yourself, uh, like through a spirit guide technique or an oracle technique, to the insight and understanding necessary to understand yourself better. But that's the key. Fear comes from a failure to know who you are. And so the antidote is always do something to help you understand better the truth of who you really are and watch that fear vaporize. Watch it go away. You'll see it uh, cease to exist before your very eyes. Increasingly, we're going to have to, um, I think it's obvious for those who find themselves unemployed or between jobs or in jobs that they just absolutely hate. And I always feel so um, so sad for people locked in uh, jobs that they hate. In, in many ways, <laughs> it, it may even be better to be unemployed than be locked in a job that you despise. Imagine imagine how the world would be if everybody did what they loved. Don't wait for the world to change to do what you love to do. The world is the way it is, corrupt and unjust to a significant degree, because we're not doing what we love to do. We're doing something that our parents decided we should do and we're trying to please them or we've decided to sell our soul for some kind of financial security and often that doesn't work out. How many professional women and men are making really good money and they just hate getting out of bed in the morning? They just absolutely hate it. But if you loved what you did, my goodness, you could be happy no matter how much money you made. But the truth of the matter is when you when you do what you love and love what you do, you're going to be better at it. And the more skilled you are and the more excellent you are at what you love to do, the more you love it. And that's a nice little upward spiral. Uh, I love it, so I'm getting better at it. The better and better I get at it, the more I love it, so I get better at it. Round and round it goes. But it, it, it again, requires that you have some insight into who you are to, as the old Greeks would say, know thyself, 
And that means to take a look at yourself, not in a mirror, but with your eyes closed, with the mirror of the mind. Not with your physical eyes, but with that third eye, that ajna center before the brows, that that mental uh, mind's eye. That's the phrase I'm looking for. The, the mind's eye, your imagination, in quiet, relaxed states, to know thyself. Well, it's that great Shakespeare line from Hamlet. This above all, to thine own self be true. And then as the day follows the night, thou canst not be false to any man if you're true to yourself first, but it requires that you know yourself. That's the antidote to fear. Even the golden rule that we find in all cultures starts with Confucius even before Moses put it in the Jewish uh, uh, Old Testament, so-called Hebrew Bible. Confucius stated the golden rule about treating others as you'd like to be treated. Do unto others what you would have them do unto you. But here again, we see that largely in terms of what we do for others without thinking about the rest of the sentence as you would have them do unto you. Well, how do you want people to treat you? How could you know how you want to be treated if you don't know that self? To me, it's just stunning. I mean, I'm a journalist who became a philosopher. A journalist looks for the truth. A philosopher looks for the truth. My movement from journalist to philosopher is just an expansion of my search for the truth in one sense. But in another sense, it's as simple as recognizing that Truth, in form anyway, is subjective. I think there is a capital T truth, but it's spiritual. It's not of this world. Truth in this world is relative. The only absolute truths are spiritual, beyond the veil. The metaphysics, beyond or behind the physics of it all. I do believe in absolute truth, but in this world, it's relative. It's subjective. Uh, when does fast become slow? When does small become big? Uh, when does good become bad? Uh, when does a freedom fighter become a terrorist and vice versa? These are relative concepts. These are not absolutes. Okay, Those who seek to control us with fear will try to tell you that all things, or most things at least, are absolutely true and they're wrong. The only absolute we understand are spiritual. Like, it's absolutely wrong to steal people's stuff, to <laughs> to take their stuff, or to kill them. All right. Even in self-defense, there is no such thing. If you if you get free, you run like hell. You don't have to counterattack to defend yourself. You just got to be free. You fight for your freedom and run. And so here we are with all of this. Uh, DNA proof now. It used to be fingerprint evidence. Now we have DNA proof of our uniqueness and who is even interested. It's just fascinating to me that we could exist in the world 
and be so driven by our need for acceptance, by our need for love, by our need for approval, that we'd rather be like other people to be liked by other people than turn our attention toward our uniqueness. And through introspection and contemplation and reflection, want to know, who is this Michael Benner guy? What makes him tick? Why does he think this way? Why does he care about this as opposed to that? Indeed, my friends, why do you care at all? I don't think anybody's ever asked me why I believe in God or why I believe in divinity or why I believe in the absolute or the innate intelligence beyond all things. I don't think anybody's ever asked me that. But I'll answer it anyway. (laughs) At least the beginning of my belief in more than the appearance of things comes from the fact that human beings care. And animals care and by extension I believe the plant kingdom and the mineral kingdom cares as well now I can call that caring nature love but then it loses its meaning because that word is so overworked so overused and has so many tiers and levels of meaning that if instead I talk about what we care about as evidence of our uniqueness, or as a path, or a means of discerning better your unique identity, your authentic individuality, your genuineness. Imagine, you wouldn't have to BS anymore. You wouldn't have to fake it. You wouldn't have to act. (laughs) There are people that spend tens of thousands of dollars to learn to be an actor but they hesitate to spend a few hundred dollars to learn to be themselves there's just such little interest that's why there's so much fear in the world and that can be exploited by an advertiser or a politician or a banker or an employer. Yeah, well, if you want the job, pays $10 an hour, take it or leave it. There's a line out the door and down the block. Fear. The ultimate evil is fear. The only enemy, really, is fear. And it's our fear. It's not being done to us. We are not victims of this fear. Anxiety, stress, nervousness, worry, doubt, apprehension, confusion, whatever words you want to use for it, it's the big F word, fear, that is at the root of all evil. Somebody said, well, all fear is ultimately the fear of death. Uh, I got an email uh, today fear, Michael, you're going to do fear today. It's all the fear of death. No, actually, people are more afraid to do what I'm doing right now, public speaking, than to die. My partner and friend Steve says, 
That means we're more afraid to give the eulogy than to be the one in the box at the funeral. We're more afraid, we're more afraid of public speaking than death. We're more afraid of going to the dentist than we are of dying. And I know there's a lot of psychology based on this idea that ultimately all anxiety is the fear of death, of dying, of no longer existing. I think the bigger fear is the fear that you do exist. It's not the fear of death that scares us. It's the fear of being alive that frightens us. (laughs) Because you're unique. And nobody else is having your experience. And even if somebody who loves you very, very, very much says, I know how you feel, you know they don't. You know how unlikely it is that they could know how you feel. That's something a therapist learns early on. Never tell your client that you know how they feel. It's perceived as a dismissal. Get over it. (laughs) Don't don't tell people you know how they feel. They feel dismissed. And uh, at least not absolutely. So, let's see if there's any other questions here that I can uh, respond to before we wrap it up and then we'll do some sort of uh, meditation. See if we can install the. Okay, good. I'm uh, just doing a check on the email here. In uh, Montreal, Charlotte. Because when I was young, I was afraid of. Uh, just about everything, strangers, getting lost, learning to drive, getting a job, <coughs> excuse me, he says, if I had, uh, I'm going to have to, hold on, I'm going to have to blow this up a little bit, if, if I had stuck to my fears, I would have had such a long, boring life, but bit by bit I walked through my fears and I learned to drive and I got my nursing degree and I was in charge of intensive care and I raised three kids as a single mom. Wow, far out. And I started a, uh, or I joined a backpacking club and I went hiking to beautiful, gorgeous places and I did it all because if I didn't, I would have died literally or spiritually. I'm now 70 years old. I'm retired and well, and I always enjoy listening to you. What a beautiful uh, sentiment from Quebec. And Charlotte, thank you for you. Uh, uh, Well, yeah, thank you for you (laughs) and for your uh, comment and your input. We have to face our fears. Face it, face it, face it. There's a Joseph Conrad quote, you know the author, Joseph Conrad, about facing fears. You must face your fear. You see, if you think fear is about danger, you turn and run, either physically or just mentally or emotionally. 
But if you understand that the fear you're running from is not about danger but things unknown, then the appropriate response would be to turn and run into the fear, not away from it. For the antidote to fear is things unknown is to know and understand. And if you run from fear, how can you understand it? So in the exceedingly rare instance that you find your fear and anxiety and stress about something dangerous, well, fight or flight, fight or run like hell. But I think you'll find the vast majority of instances of fear by any name, it's not danger, and so don't. there's nothing to fight. If your fear is unknown, what do you hit? Excuse me. And uh, if the fear is unknown and you run, you just take it with you. And everywhere you go, there you are. So in the exceedingly rare instance that you see something dangerous in your fear, well, fine, duke it out, hit it with a stick, uh, or turn and run like hell. But keep in mind the 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 99% plus of the time that your fear and anxiety is about things unknown, face it and move into the fear. I'll always remember uh, a private client who said to me, I hear you, Michael. I understand the words you're saying. I don't know what you mean to face my fear and to move into my fear. And I said, well, you know what it means to run away from the fear, don't you? She says, yeah, I can feel that, like like move in the opposite direction. Like if the fear is here, I go over there. I run for the door. I said, okay, well, reverse that. (laughs) 180 degrees. Face the fear. And to move into the fear means embrace it, bring it to you. Seek to know it. And probably the greatest allegory here is understanding is light and fear is darkness. And you bring your light into the darkness. That's a pretty ancient allegory. There's ageless wisdom. But let's go just a little bit farther. For those of you who did pretty well in physics, you remember that light is an energy. It has a source It behaves according to law. It travels at a given speed, 186,000 miles per second. Again, it has a source. It's point-specific. It has to come from someplace. Light. But the antithesis of light is not an opposing force. The antithesis, the opposite of light, darkness, has no source. It doesn't come from someplace. It does not behave according to law. It doesn't travel at a given speed. It exists merely as the absence of light. And what if we could come to, in our daily life and affairs, understand fear as the absence of understanding from your genuinely unique point of view, not other people's understanding, your unique, genuine, authentic understanding of yourself first, 
your uniqueness, and then, from that unique point of view, the world around you. Well, then there's no struggle, is there? Just as light and dark don't struggle, uh, uh, darkness ceases to be in the presence of light. It was just a shadow. It was just a nightmare. It was just a phantasm. It was fear, F-E-A-R, false evidence, appearing real. It was a shadow, a nightmare. It, It exists in a sense, but only because there's no light. Fear is the same thing. It exists only where there is no understanding of self. Start there. Don't don't know the world and then work backward toward you. Use your meditation, your introspection, your contemplation, your inner reflection, your prayer and meditation and visualization. A slow, deep breath or two. Close your eyes and relax. And use those quiet states, as we discussed last week, and as we'll discuss every week, to look into the darkness and to be the light that vanquishes effortlessly that darkness. I'd like you to close your eyes and relax if you can. It's the top of the hour we've come going almost exactly one hour here. Let's take just a few more minutes for a little exercise. And if you're in a place where you're able, just close your eyes and relax. Take a nice, slow, deep breath, filling your lungs, hold for a second or two, and then as you exhale, ah, the sigh of relief. Feel the letting go. Do that two or three times. Nice, slow, deep breath, pulling in strength. As you exhale, feel the letting go. Feel it in your body. As you allow your breathing to fall back to its natural rhythm. As you allow your body to breathe itself. But your attention gently on the bottom of your nose and allowing my voice to guide you for just a few minutes simply observe that gentle ebb and flow of the in-breath the out-breath and if the mind begins to distract you Shouting at the man that you listen to this or pay attention to that or worry about this. Exert control over it. It's less about dominating the mind than just releasing it, letting it go, saying, not now, later, not now. Let go and put your attention instead on the breathing. The way to extinguish a negative thought is not to overcome it or defeat it, but to release it. Put your attention on something positive, like simply witnessing your body breathing itself. Wow, that's pretty far out. 
all by itself. My body is breathing. Now, pretty cool. I'm not the breather. I'm just the one that stands back and watches the breathing happen all by itself. And I'm not the frightened or anxious or nervous person that sometimes I fear I may be. I am the one who in these relaxed states can take a step back and watch my anxiety, my stress, witness them from a somewhat detached and mindful place. I'd like you to allow yourself to focus on something in your life right now, in your daily life and affairs, that for you feels frightening or scary. And of all the possibilities, just put your attention on the one that stands front and center. That particular worry or anxiety or fear that sort of stands head and shoulders above the rest and rather demands your attention. And face it. Look right at it. And imagine that like on Halloween night you're old enough to know that all these scary people on the sidewalk with their bags of candy are just pretending to be scary. And they have masks or personas. They have personalities, masks and costumes. They're, they're deliberately pretending to be scary. And and this particular fear in your life presents itself at your front door like one of those apparently frightening children on Halloween. And you ask it to take off its mask. And reveal its true identity to you. You can even say to it, What am I really afraid of? What do you represent in my life? And sometimes a little longer processes. These, of course, are techniques you can repeat and dwell upon, spend as much time open and receptive in that state of confrontation, confronting your fear as things unknown that you might then know and understand it. Give it some more time. But consider, here's another technique besides ripping the mask off the Halloween fear. To imagine going into a cave or a cavern, a dark tunnel, But you carry with you a light. It might be a lantern that you hold high, 
or a big flashlight. And it can be as powerful as you can imagine, the ultimate flashlight. And you can twist the lens on the end so that it's a big floodlight or focus it down to a more narrow and more intense spotlight. But you carry that light with Indeed, you are that light. And so you go deeper and deeper into the pitch black of the underground cave. And you feel the trepidation. Allow yourself to feel how it feels to be frightened, to be hurt and upset, even confused and hostile and angry. But you go deeper into the cave, deeper and deeper in the fear. And maybe you come to a place where the path parts, the cavern goes in more than one direction, two or maybe even three directions. Like Robert Frost, who took the road less traveled, you move into the cavern, you follow the path, that is the most frightening, bringing with you your light into that darkness as you simply reflect upon the appearance of fear, whatever that may be, that you've lost your job, that you'll never work again, that you're going to get sick and die, that people you love don't care about you, that your lover doesn't really love you. Whatever it might seem to be, whatever appearance it takes, tell yourself fear is false evidence appearing real. Fear is like a shadow cast on a wall, exaggerated and distorted. A bad nightmare. And the light that you carry, the light that is you, the understanding that is the antidote to the confusion that supports fear, you bring with you. And in these states, you'll experience a dawning. You may even be thunderstruck. You'll begin to realize what you've been afraid of. You'll come to understand it better. And it might take multiple experiences of ripping the mask off the Halloween guy <laughs> at the front door or moving deeper and deeper into the cavern, following the fear, facing the fear. You might have to repeat that process a few times and get a little more insight and a little more understanding each time. And the fear that is just the shadow of ignorance and confusion diminishes. And that's who you are. You are the one that refines fear into understanding, that illumines, that uplifts or redeems or saves 
Lead to gold, water to wine, darkness to light, confusion to understanding. Make it personal and breathe. Let go and feel safe. And the more you'll understand, the safer you feel. The safer you allow yourself to feel, the more you understand. And this peace and love that promotes understanding, and this understanding that brings us more peace and love, becomes a gentle, uplifting force in your life. Face it. Understand it. This is the hero's journey. And you are the spiritual warrior. Take whatever insight or understanding, whether partial or seemingly complete, and simply affirm that you will bring this insight and understanding, this love, this light, this as you follow my voice back into normal awareness and just orient yourself and feel yourself gently floating toward the sound of my voice coming toward the sound of my voice reorienting yourself remembering where you sit where you are feel the chair that supports you or the sofa, or the floor. And as it feels right for you, take one more nice, slow, deep breath. Inhaling, fill your lungs. As you exhale, feel the letting go, and open your eyes wide awake, alert, refreshed, and rested, feeling really good, remembering, understanding, and feel the peace. On another occasion, I'm going to revisit this in the not-too-distant future, but focus on the emotional part of this, the way in which fear and things unknown supports everything that hurts us emotionally. All of our so-called negative feelings represent, in very specific ways, what we do not know about ourselves. But in summation, consider just how interested have you been and how interested, committed, or dedicated are you willing to be to know yourself, to find divinity within you. To reorient your priorities and be less concerned with the appearance of things via your physical senses and sensations and the world condition, less concerned about that as a way of understanding yourself and by reordering your intention and facing your fear, seek to understand the genuine uniqueness of the self and then take that to 
a much more empathetic understanding of the world around you. We're, we're just doing it backwards, folks. Reorder those priorities. Know thyself. To thine own self be true. Or my favorite, chew your food well. If you don't, who will? If you don't have a deep and profound understanding of what you care about, why you care, and that you care, who's going to do that? If you don't witness your experience of life from your unique point of view, your life is wasted. It's lost. It's a missing piece in the jigsaw puzzle of things. We need that piece. We need your perspective. We need your consciousness. I think the beautiful thing about the perennial philosophy, the ageless wisdom, esoteric philosophy, whatever we want to call this, shamanism, this, this is, is that there's nothing to join and nothing that you have to believe. There's no dogma here. But there is an appeal to the intellect and to the passion. And I want you to share that with your friends. Invite them to join us on this call. Send them the link. Forward the emails you get. I'd also like you to visit the website focusedpassion.com. There's a button down at the bottom of this page that you can click on and go to Focus Passion and subscribe for just 99 cents a week. It's just a delivery charge, $3.96 a month. Less than a latte <laughs> for four of these shows every week, every Sunday afternoon at 1 o'clock. Join us, but check out the podcast. Click that button and sign up for that special program where Steve and I, a couple of guys that have dedicated our entire lives to personal and spiritual development, have conversation, you eavesdrop, and every one of those programs, roughly 50 minutes to an hour long, will contain a meditation, visualization exercise. We call them audio journeys. But in addition to my website, The Ageless Wisdom, I want you to know about FocusedPassion.com. There's an ED in there, Focused Passion, but we've made it easy at the lower right of this page. Just click on that button and check it out. We'd love to get you on board, have you subscribe, and you can share those with friends, too. Give them away. They're not copyrighted. Burn them to CD. Give them to your friends. Let's wage inner peace. Let's share what we know. How can you have an understanding of this and not want to share it with a world that longs so desperately for a little bit of peace, a little bit of love, a little bit of understanding? That's the antidote, folks. Three words for the same thing. Peace, love, understanding. Three words for the same thing. Share that. Let's share that. Let's give the world what it really needs. We don't have to run big corporations or be elected politicians or even public speakers to do this. All we got to do is share. 
in a way that nobody has to join anything or swear allegiance to anybody. You know, I'm a student first and a teacher second. Study with teachers who are students. <laughs> Always study with teachers who are students first. Beware of anybody who calls himself a master. Self-proclaimed masters. Careful. I'm not saying they don't exist. I'm just saying that those who know don't tell and those who tell don't know. Somebody who calls himself a master must not be. A real master would not have to tell you. Be a student who teaches. He who teaches, she who teaches, learns twice. That's another nice one. Help us get this information up. Tell your friends about this teleconference every Sunday afternoon. It's absolutely free. And check out that podcast for the exorbitant sum of 99 cents a week. That helps pay our distribution costs. That's all. Okay. So, thanks again. Remember the replay. If you missed part of this, came in late, use the same link that brought you here. It's archived on my website, theagelesswisdom.com. There's also a link below the button in the lower, lower, lower right where you can go there, or michaelbenner.com. And also theagelesswisdom.blogspot.com. And all of the past shows or the link for them are archived there. All right. I appreciate it. I really enjoy these, and I look forward to talking to you next Sunday. Watch your email for... Uh, for the invitation and have a wonderful week be sure and do your meditations your introspections take to, you know if you took 10 to 15 minutes once a day just for you that's one percent of your day set aside one percent of your day just for you you give away the rest of everybody else how about one percent 10 to 15 minutes a day just for you You'll change the world from the inside out, no question about it. Thanks for listening in. And as always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. We'll see you next week. So long. God bless.